People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Adriana Carrick is on a mission to do good one word bracelet at a time. Adriana was in college when she started creating bracelets for her sorority as an easy way to build community and encouragement. It didn't take long for her to realize that her creative outlet to do good could actually become a viable and profitable business. In 2013, a year after graduation, Adriana took on Little Words Project full-time. Dora and I are wearing our Little Word bracelets today, and we are so excited to have Adriana on Health Gig today to talk about the impact Little Words can have. So thank you, Adriana, for joining us on Health Gig today. We're just delighted you're here. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. We are excited to talk about the Little Word Project. Trisha and I are both wearing your bracelets. I was the original purchaser of the bracelet, and then I passed along two bracelets to Trisha that, you know, would be useful to her. And so we'll talk about that in a minute, but we really want to know a little bit about you, your family, where you're from, and that kind of thing. My name is Adriana Carrig. I was born in LA at Cedar sinai to my mother, who is a Mexican woman, Mexican immigrant, and my father, who's an Italian-American. The two of them met out there, had me, moved back out to New Jersey, where my dad's family is from. And I've grown up in New Jersey ever since and have been here since I'm two years old and lived in Livingston, New Jersey for a majority of my life. Went to the College of New Jersey, very Jersey girl based, (laughs) went to the College of New Jersey and I studied English literature with the intention of becoming a lawyer when I graduated college. I took my LSAT and as I was doing all that, I was in the same vein thinking about this business and how I could maybe start something special. And, you know, I had this idea, but I was, I don't know, I'm going to law school. We'll see. And then by the time I got my scores back, I was like, you know what? Either my scores tell me I have to go to Harvard or they don't. And I'll (laughs) take that as a sign. So that's kind of what I looked for. And I did not get scores that would have gotten me into Harvard. So I kind of jumped headfirst with everything I had into building Little Words Project. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. I sped through it, but that's me. (laughs) That's super helpful and interesting to know about you. One of the things that I read is that you started the Little Words Project because you experienced negativity growing up and well into your adulthood. Can you talk to us about that? You know, ever since I was a young girl, I consider myself a woman of color, and I felt like I had dealt with a lot of negativity for that reason from other girls. I was bullied pretty much my entire life from, you know, elementary school to middle school to high school to college even. Every single time it was for different reasons, I would say, like it wasn't necessarily just because of my skin color, my hair, whatever. There were times where it was simply just, you know, girly crap, like, you know, friend drama and who's in what group Halloween costume and, you know, things like that. But it just kind of opened my eyes, especially once I got to college and it became more about competition that we as women have the tendency to put one another down rather than lift one another up. And I really wanted to kind of create something that would inspire kindness and kind of be a vehicle right on your wrist to lift one another up rather than put them down. Yeah, it was all very much so inspired by that experience growing up with pretty hardcore bullying. I mean, 
situations where cops had to get involved and we had to get lawyers involved. I mean, it was just like unfortunate, you know, you don't want to go through that. But I do think that it brought me to where I am today and who I am. It definitely helped make the business a reality. Wow, that must have just been really difficult. And your mom and dad were with you? I mean, you had support? Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, my parents are the most supportive people in the world. I'm actually, I'm pregnant right now and I'm due next month. And thinking about my son being someone who goes through what I went through, I'm like, oh my God, I just hope that doesn't happen because I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I would handle it. My parents, I mean, I remember them crying in their bedroom about what I was going through. And then, you know, fast forward to when I decided I wasn't going to go to law school anymore, but instead I was going to go and start this business. They were so supportive. I did it right out of their basement. And my dad was the shipping department and my mom helped with manufacturing. We kind of did it as a family affair for those first six months, essentially. So yeah, they are incredibly supportive. And I don't know that I could have done it without them. So all of this helped you define the mission for the Little Words Project, which is encouraging women to be kind and to lift each other up and to be kind to themselves as well as others. Tell us more about how your business is run now, how it's going. You're right, Dora. Little Words Project is all about inspiring kindness amongst women. The idea is you pick a little word, a bracelet that has a different inspirational word on it. You pick a word that means something to you, you wear it for as long as you need it, and then you can pass it on to someone who needs it more than you do. And the best part is that each one has a little tag number on the back. And if you look at that tag number, you can see it's a unique code, essentially. And you would use that to register the bracelet on our mobile app or website so that when you do pass it on to the next woman, you can actually track and see where it goes. Really sweet pay it forward concept, if I do say so myself definitely helps encourage that kindness we were talking about. And we've had customers who've told us that when they do pass the bracelet on, it's the most incredible feeling. And we've done polls where we've asked if you've passed your bracelet on, how likely are you to do it again? Or would you do it again? And it was like a hundred percent of women who have passed on a bracelet would do it again, which just goes to show that oftentimes the act of giving the bracelet is better than the act of receiving one which I just think is super special because it kind of builds that self-esteem and that helps build confidence and then that helps build kindness. And it's just this self-fulfilling you know, circle of making one another kinder to one another. So when it comes to the business today, you've gone from you know being in my parents' basement to having 25 plus employees, 99% of which are female. We have one male that we just hired, but definitely almost all female run, myself included. I'm still the kind of acting CEO. We're based in Caldwell, New Jersey in a 3,000 square foot office space. And so it's definitely come a very long way from where we started to where we are today. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, that is incredible. I love the, and Tricia, I think loves this piece too, the metrics and a tracking kindness and tracking positivity and joy. So how do you do that? Obviously with registering the bracelets, but what do you do with those metrics when you find out what they are and how does that affect your business? We don't do a ton with the metrics of where the bracelets go and like how they've been passed. We just do like to see that it's working and it's happening. The most people who are registering are people who are going through difficulty, right? We'll see women who are going through cancer diagnoses or infertility diagnoses or divorce, you know, so intense and difficult to go through. 
Once we see that, we kind of get an idea of, okay, these are the kinds of words we need to be focusing on. These are the kinds of styles we need to be looking at, you know, just things that are really going to help these women through. Now, that's not to say there aren't people who are buying bracelets for their daughter's dance recital or their bridesmaids or the good times in life, because that happens a ton. We use those metrics to kind of understand like why people are leaning towards buying a little word and and really just trying to make sure that we're leaning into them, but also expanding our customer base as well. And it's just also the most amazing thing to see. Like when we read those stories, it really just lights us up and it helps us understand why we're doing what we're doing. Do you know how big your community is? Do you know how far it goes? We've got bracelets that have gone all over the world. We have registrations in Australia come through, in Europe, in South America, in Mexico, Canada, literally everywhere. Our hub really is the United States. You know, we've seen them go. They're in every single state. You know, as far as retail is concerned, we're in over 2,000 little mom and pop boutiques nationwide. And that number grows every day, as well as we're retailed by Nordstrom. And so you can find us in any Nordstrom location online and so on and so forth. So, you know, besides just being on our website, you know, we definitely have a pretty wide audience of people who are buying the bracelets. Now, not all of them who find us in Nordstrom know what we're about but they're still buying them anyway. We're one of their top accessory brands, which is exciting. The bracelets themselves are cute enough, (laughs) even (laughs) if you don't know the story. However, once you hear the story and you feel a part of that community, it really just makes it like that much easier to stack them on your wrist. Like you, Dora. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Who actually makes these bracelets? Who's making them? Those 25 people in there and the one guy? (laughs) (laughs) No, they did start with me and my mom making every single one. And then slowly but surely, one of my employees who's been with me since the beginning, she started making bracelets and now she's my director of partnerships. I personally haven't made a bracelet in a couple of years, which is insane. But we do have an in-house team of manufacturers. And then we do also manufacture some in a factory overseas as well. How did you think of incorporating the pay it forward? I started a version of the brand in my college sorority when I was in college and I had dealt, like I said, with negativity. It wasn't within my chapter with my actual girls. It was from people from other sororities and just from without. We had dealt with a lot of cruelty and negativity. And I was like, this is exactly what I've dealt with since being a kid. I want there to be something that I created for them that could really bring positivity and kindness and also just circulate the love amongst ourselves. At the time, I was the vice president of membership and recruitment. So it was literally my job to come up with a way to keep the love circulating. So I made my first batch of these bracelets. I had been making bracelets my whole life. You know, as a young woman, it was, I was very creative. I loved doing that. So I made my first batch and I brought them to the girls at one of our chapter meetings. I told them, wear them. And then, you know, as a sister needs one, pass it on to her. You know, if someone has a big test, give her luck. If someone just had a breakup, give her love. And the idea was, like I said, keep the love circulating amongst us so we didn't have to worry about how others were making us feel. Just kind of, again, building that confidence and self-esteem. It started there. And at the time, I called them warm fuzzies. And then once I graduated from college, the girls continued using them. It started when I was a sophomore. Then every year since that, it became like just this iconic symbol of sisterhood for the chapter. To the point where once I graduated and, you know, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I traveled a little and I saw they were still using them. This was kind of at the beginning of Instagram. They were posting their pictures of them. I was like, you know what? If this worked on this small scale at this small school, 
why couldn't it work for the masses? Why not bring sisterhood like this to women everywhere? I asked the chapter if they would mind, since by that point, it became something like so iconically them. They were all super supportive and they were the first indication that when women support women, you know, you can make a huge difference. Once I launched it, I had like 66 different women posting on Facebook and Instagram and just helping me get the word out to the point where I was profitable in my first month of business. So it really just kind of, like I said, goes to show that when we come together and help one another, we can do any manner of things. I don't remember what the original question was, but <laughs> no, you answered it. <laughs> I think I answered it. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely answered it. So how do you come up with the words? I mean, you have a lot of words on your bracelets and website. How often do you come up with new words or do you take suggestions for words? Yeah, we do. We always are taking suggestions. The community we've built is really what has continued to keep us thriving, especially through this past year of the pandemic. These women really just are constantly giving us ideas and telling us how much they love us and just interacting with us. And I think that is what has kept us going and made the business really lucrative, really, because we're giving them what they want. And we're always open to those suggestions. As far as creating new words, again, it's crazy. I personally haven't been a part of that creation process for a couple of years now because you know I've got this amazing team. They pull the audience, they come up with words that are going to align with like the time period. So if, like, let's say we're designing holiday, we'll want to think, okay, what are the best holiday words that we can get out there that customers will resonate with, but won't be too gimmicky. Even though sometimes when we launch a gimmicky word, it just takes off. Yeah. Holly and jolly, <laughs> I'll tell you, was like our best word of Christmas 2020. You never know what's going to work. It's a lot of trial and error. You know, we launch these new collections and we see how customers react. What we found is that people are still gravitating towards those core collections, right? So strength is our number one word. Believe is one of the top as well. And yet they'll buy those, maybe they're gifting those, but then they're stacking up on the fun, colorful ones that they keep for themselves. So it's just really cool to see how people, what they'll choose and why. What's your favorite words and what words are on your wrist right now? Because I see <laughs> you have a stack. I do have a stack. My favorite word is believe. I think that when people have asked me, how did I do this? Or what do you think is the reason that you got to where you got? Or any of those types of questions, I always say it's because I believed in myself. That's something that my mother instilled in me since I was a young age. She always told me, querer es poder, which in Spanish means if you want it, you can achieve it, right? But you have to believe that that's possible. So the answer is believe. I love the word believe. I'm not wearing it right now, but I <laughs> am wearing blessed, thankful boy mom and mama. I'm definitely leaning into the fact that I'm going to be a mom soon. And I was on a very long fertility journey to get to this point. So I am so thankful. I feel so blessed that I finally am able to say that I'm going to be a mom. My wrist is very mom oriented right now. <laughs> so sweet. Can you just touch on your journey with the fertility for folks that might really appreciate hearing your happy ending? My husband and I, we got married in 2017 at the age of 27. We decided in 2018, about a year after getting married, that we wanted to start trying for a family. For whatever reason, it did not happen the way we wanted it to. You know, you hear all these stories and you grow up being told, you got to be careful because, you know, have sex once and you're pregnant. So <laughs> you just be careful and all that stuff. That is not how it happened for us. It was a really, really long journey. We did about a year and a half of 
trying naturally. And I went to any manner of holistic practitioners. I mean, I've done everything you can do under the sun to help relax and get to a place where my body was really as healthy as humanly possible. And it turned out that by the time we got to a reproductive endocrinologist, who is the people who would essentially kind of help scientifically through IUI or IVF, we did a lot more testing and found out that there was literally nothing wrong with either my husband or myself. When I say nothing wrong, I mean, again, just in that, in the context of you know what they're looking for, because even people who do have some sort of hormone issue or sperm count issue, whatever it might be, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means that that's kind of where you're at at this point in your journey. But anyway, long story short, the diagnosis is unexplained infertility which is a little bit of a double-edged sword um, in my opinion, because on the one hand, I'd love to know what the reasoning is. I would never have wanted there to be something that would have been an even bigger hurdle to cross in order to get pregnant. So it was early this past year that we started the journey of IVF. We skipped past IUI because our insurance didn't require it. IUI is while effective for a lot of people, it does tend to be not as effective. And since we already had the knowledge that there was no reason it wasn't happening, we figured we needed to kind of go all the way to the big dog of IVF (laughs) to eliminate the amount of time that it was taking at that point and just kind of cut right through. So we did two rounds of retrievals because we messed up our drugs the first time around. So that sucked. That was an expensive mistake. And then by the second time, we were able to get a bunch more embryos and feel really confident about what our options were in the future. And if we did need to go through this again, you know, I'm confident that I have the ability to build that family. We did our transfer in July of 2020 and we're pregnant by August. And this is that baby. So that's due in April. Thank you so much. Yeah, (laughs) it was a journey. Yeah, (laughs) so exciting. Have you chosen a name or anything yet? Are you divulging the words of the name? (laughs) We've been between two names. And I think it's at this point, it's a matter of like, I need to see him and know what he is. After all this, I'm like, I need to like hold <laughs> this baby and know who he is, what's his name, and go from there. We'll find out in April what his name That's is. That's so great. <laughs> I've heard also doing a little research on you that you struggle with anxiety. And anxiety is something that we talk a lot about on our podcast to try to help people who struggle with it. There's a huge population of people that struggle with anxiety. So can you talk about your experience with it and how you manage your anxiety? I definitely have had it my whole life. It was undiagnosed for a long time. You know, that's one place that my family, there wasn't like a huge discussion of mental health growing up. It was kind of just like, you know, we're all crazy. Like that was just how (laughs) we accepted it. You know, we have Italian and Mexican. We're all a little nuts. I definitely dealt with a lot. I remember there were moments when I was a kid that I knew, like looking back, I'm like, whoa, I was definitely really, really anxious through that experience. It informed how I acted, how I responded, how I reacted to things. And then as I was moving towards getting married, I actually developed something called dyspareunia, which is a you know medical term for painful intercourse. I mean, I don't know how intense we get on these calls, but I'm, go- I'm going no, there. Go that. for it. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I'm an open book. <laughs> that was another hard thing that, you know, my husband as a hurdle going into getting married. Now it was fixed once I started focusing on the anxiety element. So it's an actual reaction to your anxiety. Correct. It was how my body manifested anxiety in a way. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And it doesn't help that I was at the time I had the thick of the growth of like, I'm still up all hours of the night. I'm still the one traveling and flying to every single trade show. Like I was still the one doing it all. I wasn't feeding myself properly. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't focusing on my mental health. Like I wasn't doing any of the things I should have done. And then on top of that, I'm planning a wedding. There was just so many little elements that would lead and inspire more anxiety. And then it manifested itself in that way where I had, I could not keep ignoring it. I saw a specialist. I went to a doctor. I I started actually on Lexapro at the time. So I do continue to take that. I was cleared to continue to take it through my pregnancy. I also lean very much so into Eastern medicine practices. And I know I will want to get off of it at some point, but at no point from starting it to now, have I felt like I really had the opportunity to do that, especially then going through IVF. I was like, no way. I'm not going to take away this little security blanket. And I remember when I was told that I should take it, I had like the biggest panic attack I'd ever had. I had like the worst nervous breakdown I've ever had because I just felt like I didn't want to be a person who needed medication, right? Quote, needed medication or whatever that means. Looking back now, I'm like, oh my God, that was the anxiety speaking. You know, that was the fear speaking. I leaned in and I ended up going that direction. I'm super grateful for it. I don't know how I would have gotten through this past year without the extra assistance of that medication, but also the knowledge that I am in control and I can help myself by leaning into the tools and the science and what's out there for us. But yeah, now the anxiety was something that started at a young age. And I think it had a lot to do with the bullying. And how is it now after the Lexapro and some of the other techniques? As far as other techniques, I also am a big acupuncture lover. Like I said, Eastern medicine is important to me. I work with functional medicine doctors. I'm working with a holistic coach for my birth plan, all that stuff. I really have leaned into those things. And I also just allow myself grace and I feed myself properly now. (laughs) That was something I did not do when I was a business owner and just like burning the candle at both ends. My breakfast was like a Snickers bar, you know, like (laughs) you just can't do that. Yeah. You're too tired. Yeah. That really affects your mental health, which I learned through my functional medicine journey. I mean, as far as the dyspronia that went away before getting married, thank God. That's good. Um, again, I do think there was some psychological remnants that led potentially to the infertility that we dealt with. Again, there's just all these little elements that it all sticks with you. We need to just be constantly letting those things go and working through it. But as far as anxiety is concerned, I often will tell my husband, like, imagine if I didn't have like all these tools in my toolbox now. And I was just allowing myself to just like, I don't know how I would do it. Like, I don't, he's like, I know, thank God, you know, <laughs> thank God we figured that out. I think my goal will be to stick with the medication for probably at least the first year or two of his life and maybe building the rest of that family. And then when I have the ability to really focus on weaning off and really leveraging those other tools that I have, you know, without having the stress of maybe the business behind me, then I'll be looking towards going a little bit more natural with the plan, but it's whatever works for you, you know, at the end of the day. That's so true. And, and, you know, it's just so kind of you to share your story with so many people and pass it on to others, because really as you say, a lot of times people don't talk about mental wellness or mental illness. And it's important to, because we are all, as Dora and I say, you know, our necks are here for a reason, right? Connecting our heads to our bodies and you can't separate them. 
So we really appreciate you doing what you do and sharing with others your experience with anxiety. So thank you for that. Oh, of course. I believe that hearing about it and hearing people talk about their journeys does wonders to normalize it because it's so normal. And we often feel like it's not, you know, and I'm like, I have no shame. I have no shame anymore. And I did, I had so much shame. And then I started taking something that actively eliminates those fears and those thoughts. And it's like, wait a minute, then those weren't really real. It was like putting on a pair of glasses and starting to see the world a little bit more clearly. And now I'm like, there's no shame in taking care of your mental health and admitting that you have a problem and taking care of it. That's the goal. You know, otherwise we're just all sitting in our muck and trying to navigate life through mud. It's so true. It's so so true. true. And and we've heard you say that oftentimes your experience and adores and my experiences, the more that you are vulnerable, the more that you are open you actually attract those kinds of people into your life, which helps create this awesome world that you get to live in. Exactly. I feel like, like I said, the community that we built at the business level, but also like on, you know, my own personal Instagram page, like, and I use Instagram because that's like my main connection to, you know, the public world, especially during COVID, right? Because we're not getting out there anymore. It's all about like, I tell you what I'm going through and I show you that innermost experience. And as a result, you feel connected to me because you've gone through the same thing. Nobody wants to see your highlight reel at the end of the day. Like nobody <laughs> wants to see how perfect, you know, like I don't want to see how great your life is. And I've learned that over time because, you know, of course you can look through my pictures on my feed and it's like, okay, she looks like she's living a great life. But if you watch my stories and I've not started posting pictures of myself crying yet, that I haven't gone that direction. I don't know if anyone wants to see that either. <laughs> It's in moments like this, opportunities like this, where I will share that like, yeah, even if you think something is perfect, there's always more behind the scenes and people need to remember that and people need to give each other grace too. Especially in the world we live in now, it's it's so easy to just learn that someone's not perfect and be surprised. It's like, what do you mean? We're all human beings. Like we all have done things and said things and live difficulties that nobody knows about. So what's the best advice you've ever received from anyone? I keep going back to this and I wrote my college essay on this. I brought it up earlier and it's my mom telling me that if you want it, you can achieve it. I know that's not always true for everyone in the world. You know, there's definitely people out there who want something and, you know, have whatever systemic blocks that keep them from getting it. And I do understand and believe that wholeheartedly. But I also do think that you have to start with the desire. You have to start with the dream. There's another Spanish phrase, soñar no cuesta, which means like it doesn't cost anything to dream. And if you start with that dream and you put it out there in the universe and you think on it, and if you manifest what you believe in and what you want for yourself, you can achieve so much more than you think. Yes, it might not be the ultimate goal that you wanted, but if you're attempting it, you can sometimes, you know, land somewhere in between that's better off than where you started. So for me, it's just like, keep dreaming and keep going and try, just try, believe it and try. It's really got to be that what my mom's taught me since the very beginning. So true. It's like what you're saying is anything really is possible. You just have to really keep going and try. And sometimes it might not be what, as I think what you were saying, is what you're going for, but something's going to happen as a result of trying. My favorite quote is by Steve Jobs, where he says, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. 
So you have to keep going and trust that the dots will connect in the future. At some point, I look back and I understand why I went through what I went through and how it connected to starting this business and how that connected to my infertility journey. And when I meet this baby, I'm going to understand why I went through that because otherwise I wouldn't have him. And I think that's kind of like what Steve Jobs meant by that. (laughs) Um, We just have to trust that at some point, everything's going to make a little bit more sense. And if you are trying to do something or you have a dream or a goal, at the very least, if you trust and believe that you can get somewhere, it's very easy, especially with the outside pressure and maybe your environment or the world you grew up in, or whether you see representation of yourself somewhere or not to allow that to tell you, no, I can't get there, you know, to allow that to keep you from trying. That's easy. It's hard to say, no, I'm going to try anyway, or I'm going to believe in myself anyway. And I think that's really what it comes down to. I mean, I look at my mother, who's a Mexican woman who came from absolutely nothing. She had absolutely nothing growing up and ended up managing a a multi-million dollar business. It wasn't her business, but managing it in one of the more affluent communities in New Jersey. You definitely can't tell her that it's not possible. I have a little bit more compassion for the people out there. You know, there are so many things that kind of keep you stuck, but at the end of the day, you know, you have to start somewhere and you just have to start with believing in yourself. If you shoot for the stars, you might not get there, but you'll fall somewhere among the clouds. Right. Or land on the moon. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It sounds like your mom was your mentor. My mom is my biggest inspiration. I would say she is my mentor in that. I look to her for just that kick in the butt whenever I feel like I need it. But as far as, you know, business mentor is concerned, my dad was really influential in all things business. I mean, he really helped in the beginning because he actually owns his own business as well. I've come from this world of like knowing and understanding that you can build your life the way you want it. My dad was also very influential on that side of the coin. And then as far as mentors for like the business is concerned, you know, I've leaned a lot on my community and other women who are building their businesses and are further along. And I have no shame asking people for advice and asking people for help. And when we go to these trade shows or these in-person events, when they happen again, that's the best time, you know, I rub elbows with people and I'm just like, Hey, like, so what are you guys doing for this? Or where did you get your packaging? Or can you connect me? And sometimes the door slams in my face, but another times it's been really like eye-opening and helpful. And people are really kind when you give them the chance to be. It's my mom, it's my dad, it's my community. It's just everyone around me. I really believe in just, like I said, try it. The closed mouth doesn't get fed, right? See where you can get that assistance and run with it. You know, your mother was your inspiration, but see that you're an inspiration to so many people. I'm feeling incredibly inspired, Doro. How about you? (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I keep looking down at my bracelets that Doro gave me. When Doro found out about you and your company, she was so excited. Remember, Doro? She's like, oh my gosh, because Doro has led our company. One of our main things that we like to be is kindness champions. So when she heard about you, she was so excited about it. So anyway, I was just, you're such an inspiration. <laughs> you really are. Thank you. Well, we just thank you for spreading kindness and positivity in the world. And thank you for being so vulnerable because that's going to help so many people. Of course. Thank you. And thanks for being with us.
Thank you so much, ladies. I look forward to listening and keep up the great work in bringing people on and giving them the space to be their truest self. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. To learn more on how to live a co-mindfulness life, visit comindfulnessproject.com.